Okay, today we are continuing with our series, Eight Essential Elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel. And uh, if you look at Roman numeral one, you'll see the eight essential elements, starting with element zero. And uh, so, really, there's nine categories, technically. And um, we have been on this series for a while. In fact, today will be the 57th lesson. And today we're going to do element 6H. So we had a little uh, snafu where I sent the wrong message to Anvesh, and uh, the people who printed it and so forth didn't notice, neither did I. So they're printing the correct one, so I have last week's outline, so I'm just going to review a little bit till they get here with the real outline. So last week we defined repentance, and then today... We're going to see the priority of repentance in the ministries of John the Baptist, our Lord Jesus, and the apostles. That is, the entire New Testament. So, um, today's gospel, uh, it's quite clear that forgiveness is the main thing preached. That God will forgive you. And uh, that has a spinoff of the idea called reconciliation. Two very, 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 very important parts of the biblical Christian gospel. But not uh, true or accurate when divorced from these other things. There, there is no forgiveness, as we're going to see today, without uh, conviction of sin, without contriteness, without confession of sin, and without true repentance. And uh, we're going to differentiate, hopefully, two weeks from now, we're going to look at the difference between repentance and remorse, but uh, we'll jump ahead a little bit. And uh, Remorse is, a t- is the tendency to be concerned about the consequences of your sin in terms of the here and now, the, you know, it cost you your job, it cost you your marriage, it cost you uh, favor with your friends or whatever, there was uh, social embarrassment or something. But uh, remorse is not concerned about your relationship with God and that, you've, uh, that you offended God. And it, and it uh, doesn't bring forth lasting fruit. It's a selfish regret for your behavior. Uh, and you can kind of tell because, you know, there's always all these scandals in the news. And when someone doesn't come clean, in 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 get ahead of the facts like in in other words they come clean before they're caught that's usually a good indication that there might be some repentance involved not always that's just one indicator but when they don't come clean until they're nailed you know ever you know not to weigh in on social events too much but uh there's the controversy in baseball should pete rose be reinstalled to uh baseball and and the allowed to enter the Hall of Fame. The Reds, of course, just made a decision where they put them, he put him in the Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame, uh, despite the fact that he's still banned from baseball. And the answer is no, of course he shouldn't be uh, reinstated to baseball because he's never admitted to his wrongdoing. And even in the face of all the evidence, he still denies it. And if somebody comes clean after all the evidence makes it clear they're guilty, you have to kind of be suspicious whether there's true repentance or not. Now, there can be, uh, but there's other issues. But in any case, that's a preview ahead to two weeks from now when we do repentance and remorse. Last week, we defined repentance, and um, 
I am going to, uh, I wasn't going to review these, but since we're missing our outlines, I will review th them. Repentance comes from, in the, in the verb form, uh, to repent, is uh, metaneo, and uh, it means to change one's mind, to think differently afterwards, to reconsider, to morally feel compunction, to repent, to change one's mind heartily by abhorrence of sin. So repentance um, is more of the intellect and the will, and it's less of the emotions. Whether someone feels, cries, or feels guilty, or whatever, has less to do. There was a world famous, perhaps the most famous at the time, televangelist that fell into some sin about 1989 or 90, most of you wouldn't even have heard of them because you're too young. <laughs> uh, most of our church was born around 1990, give or take a few years. And uh, so um, some of you weren't, weren't even born until several years after 1990. So, but, you know, he was caught with certain gross sins and so forth. And then unfortunately, because of the nature of how condemning he was of everyone else. It made national headlines, front page news and all the papers. And, you know, they ran it in the six o'clock news on NBC and ABC and so forth. And, you know, the guy basically was offered by his association of churches to take their repentance program, which takes two years to be reinstated. And he rejected it. He said he went independent, left that group organization and said, there's too much money in television contracts and, and things like that involved. I can't do that. And he cried in front of his congregation, said, I'm sorry, and continued his ways. Uh, only to have six months later, the same scandal, you know, to repeat the sins and, and to have them be even more nationally <laughs> published and so forth. So repentance is... Uh, very important thing, but it's not discernible by whether a person's emotional or not. It's discernible by decisions that just just like when you deal with the issue of forgiving others, for your your emotions will eventually come into line with your decisions. You have to choose to forgive, and you have to stick with that, and and make that firm decision. And your emotions will eventually come around. Uh, repentance, when it's a noun form, is a feminine noun. It means to change one's mind uh, or to change one's purpose or deeds by implication or reversal of decisions and so forth. And we gave eight biblical uh, statements about repentance. In Scripture, it's always important to follow a rule that Scripture interprets Scripture. So these are things that Scripture says about repentance. And actually what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the priority of repentance in, in Scripture. Next week we're actually going to go through, uh, today we're going to get through, partway through the book of Acts. So we're going to cover repentance in the Gospels and part of Acts. Next week we're going to go through the last part of Acts and all the epistles and look at, oh, maybe hopefully 30 or 40 of the 160 verses on repentance in the New Testament. Okay. And we're going to see these eight principles illustrated. So it would be good for you to know these eight principles. I am so thankful that I was in a church that basically we had a Tuesday night foundations class 
with a very dynamic worship beforehand, and it was just held at a home, and we would pack like 40, 50 people into this home and uh, have amazing worship. And then uh, deacons or elders of the church would teach on various foundational uh, subjects, and repentance was one of those that we really were taught well on. This, this will make a huge difference. If you understand the words we're studying so that they go beyond being something in your mind, but they're in your heart, they're, that you have them memorized, they become part of your daily fabric, you live them. You ask yourself before God, am I contrite? Have I confessed? Uh, am, I, am I repenting in a biblical way? Is this real repentance, or is this some false substitute for repentance? Uh, that repentance is a daily foundation, as we're going to see. So let's look at these eight things while we're waiting on today's outlines. Number one, repentance is primarily intellectual and volitional, not emotional. We already covered that. Volition is just a fancy word for your will or your decisions. One of the things that if you uh, study any kind of counseling, especially uh, a type of counseling called nuthetic counseling, which is kind of based on scriptural principles more than a lot of the so-called Bible evangelical kind of counseling today, which tends to be a mixture of humanistic psychology and a little bit of Christianese thrown in and a few Bible verses slapped on it and so forth, but not uh, most Christian counseling is not uh, that thoroughly Christian, not, not in terms of its core values and worldview and so forth. So uh, there's a kind of counseling that we uh, r recommend. Uh, the Kind of the champion of teaching that is a guy named J.E. Adams. His book is Competent to Counsel. If you're, and there's another book he had called The Christian Counselor's Manual. If you're involved in discipling or helping anybody grow, including yourself, you should, should have read that book. Um, it'll, that, that will help you a great deal. But one of the things that that will help you see is people are always saying, I can or I can't. But it's never a matter of whether you can or you can't. Like Yoda said to Luke Skywalker, there's no try. There's just do or don't. I really get worried about people when they will say, well, I'll, I'll try. Because I'll try means I won't, I'm not intending to do this. <laughs> um, thank you. So... I need two, please. So, um, number two, repentance must be radical and foundational. Radical means roots. So, if you have not heard my uh, Grace Upon Grace series, I'd really encourage you to, to go through that with the outlines. But it gets down to, uh, repentance gets down to changing who's in charge, changing who's driving, you might say, changing why, who, who you're living for, from yourself to God. Uh, changing your source of righteousness from your efforts to his grace. Changing your reason for being on the planet. It gets to root issues of a whole exchange of life, of you trading in your life for his life. That's the real gospel, not a sinner's prayer. It's a trade that, you know, that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Um, 
Thirdly, repentance is the first emphasis of Scripture in receiving Jesus, which we're going to look at today. Uh, when you talk about receiving Jesus, you're talking about two issues, the new birth and conversion. But when Scripture is, is, is talking to uh, those outside of the faith, inviting them into the faith, command, declaring the kingdom, uh, God is commanding all men everywhere to repent. And that's always the first emphasis. And that's why it's such a dangerous thing today that we have a gospel that's about forgiveness and reconciliation apart from repentance. Because that's like saying, I want the car, but I don't want to make the payments. I want the marriage and the benefits, but I really don't want uh, to invest in the relationship. You know, that's a big issue in our culture. People want friends with benefits, but they don't want commitments cost laying down your life and there is no forgiveness without repentance and repentance is a lot deeper issue than feeling emotion about your bad behaviors and the consequences thereof repentance is as we're going to see in number eight toward god now i hadn't wanted to go through these has everybody got the new outline that should say six h on the top leah you got one Everyone's got one? So I'm going to try to cheat ahead real quick here. Repentance is the prerequisite for faith. Uh, let's finish on number three, point A there. Repentance makes room for Jesus' presence in our life. That's what we're going to see in the ministry of John the Baptist, Jesus, and the apostles. You, the Christian life isn't about being religious. It's about knowing God. And you can see in the spirit, I can see in the countenance of people. When people walk in, I know whether they're walking with Jesus or not walking with Jesus. You can tell in their spirit where they're at with God. Of course. And uh, because Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is not going to heaven. Heaven is a byproduct. He's saving you from yourself and from your sin and from self-determination and being your own Lord, not, and not from hell. It's just that hell is the byproduct of living for yourself. People who are living for themselves are usually living, although they usually don't have grace to see it, they're kind of living their own private hell already. And uh, walking with God therefore produces the joys and the fruits of, of eternal life now can't wait till we get new lights all right so the rest of the definitions are there we went over them last week if i spend too much time on them so the, in the new outline they're on the bottom of of the first page under roman numeral seven uh big point c Repentance is the prerequisite for faith. It's the gift of God and initiated by God. It's ongoing daily foundation of the Christian life. We preached on each of these a little bit last week. It always brings forth fruit. And I left the most important for last. Repentance. We have a tendency to make our repentance be about just turning from guilt, shame, evil deeds, wrong attitudes, motivation. But repentance is always primarily turning toward God, changing who's running the show. 
Who's your motivation? Uh, who's, who's your priority? Repentance puts Jesus Christ on the throne of your life and your heart and so forth. All right, so we defined those last, last week, and uh, now that we've got the real outlines, we still have about close to a half hour left. So flip over to the backside, and let's see what we can, uh, we can get done today. Again, uh, repentance is the first word or the first priority in the ministries of John the Baptizer, Jesus, and the Apostles. That's what we're going to look at today. That it was the first thing they had to say. It was their first priority. And if you're not walking through the doors of repentance, you know, the, re the reason we have this thing that we, that we study from the book of Acts called the five first steps of, walk of, of walking with Christ and his kingdom is because if you haven't walked through those five steps, you're just standing in the doorway of the kingdom of God. And unfortunately, it, what you have to get delivered from, if you're going to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus, and you're going to take the Bible as the word of God seriously, you have to get delivered from an idea that what 95 or 99% of Christians are doing is normal. Because Jesus was not normal in that sense. He was normal in the sense of what we were always intended to be. And Jesus is the new norm. And normal is what is all about Jesus and what he defines normal. And the truth of the matter is, is that if you, that if you can dis differentiate between what God created to be normal and intends to be normal from what's average, if you can get those concepts separated in your heart and mind, you can understand that most people, the average is not normal. It's actually abnormal. And, we're, and especially when you're living in a time when a civilization is in its advanced stages of decline. You know, one of the, it's been my joy in life to study and focus a lot of my historical studies on the fall and rise of civilizations and cultures. And we're, you know, living in Western culture in an advanced stage of decline and decay. We don't have to be. If the church can be restored, that can be changed. But that's where we're at. And the church cannot be restored unless we begin to understand that the Bible's definitions of Christianity is, is actually the real normal. And, you know, Noah was the normal person in his age. And everyone else in the entire world, other than Noah, Noah's wife, and Noah's three sons and their wives, the rest of the world was abnormal. It was out of step. It was perverted. Perverted, you know, people always go, why does God, you know, the Old Testament must be, glad we've evolved from that because it says you don't boil a kid goat in its mother's milk. What nonsense to be concerned about such trivia and trite things. That's because you don't know how to read the Bible. What that is saying is you don't do something perverted. The, God gave the milk to the mother to nurse the kid. You don't use it to kill the kid. So, of course, God's not concerned about goat's milk. What he's concerned about is understanding the purpose of things in creation and using them for how you were created. 
God didn't give you the option to choose what sex you are or, you know, or whatever. That's a perversion. And it will cause the land to spit you out. God didn't give the mother sanctuary of her womb for babies to be murdered in. In a society that murders its babies in its mother's womb, the land itself will destroy them. That's what perversion means. So repentance is a turning toward God. It's the first priority, and, and let's, let's get through that a little bit. Note one, repentance is our first priority. It prepares the way for Christ to come. Not just in the first event of Christ, his, his incarnation and his you know, life ministry 2,000 years ago, nor in the anticipated second coming of Christ. It prepares the way for Christ to come into your heart, into your home today. Repentance is the key to see Christ coming. That's why you see people sit in the same pews and not come to know the Lord. And over year after year, and you see people who grow in the Lord. It all has to do with whether you walk through these foundational doors, because the door is Christ himself. And you can't walk to repent is to get yourself lined up with Christ. It's like someone trying to pet a cat backward against the grain. And the cat's going, and you just look at the cat and go, just turn around. Everything will be fine. That's really what repentance is. You know, like uh, repentance, it, G- Jesus has this idea that he's God and he doesn't change. And all aberrations in Christianity are trying to recreate God the way we want him to be. He's not going to be politically correct and he's not going to go with the morals of our times nor any other floating crap game. His word is forever. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is the word of God, which forever is settled in heaven. Repentance is the key that unlocks the door to faith. If you're having trouble believing some things in God, it's because you're not willing. That's always the case. It it must be. Now, that's why in John 7, 17, Jesus says, "If if anyone is willing to do his will... He will know the teaching, whether it's of God. If you're having trouble with faith, with understanding, the Hebrews 11 says, by faith we understand that the worlds were created out of nothing by the word of God. I remember when I became a creationist. I was 17 years old. I had just become a Christian. I, just, I knew in my heart and spirit that I should read the whole Bible. So I... Uh, And when I was thinking about becoming a Christian, I had read through the whole New Testament, and then I began to realize I should be reading the whole Bible. So I read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and I I had never heard such things. I had been raised indoctrinated in in evolution my whole life and uh, brainwashed in it over and over and over and over again. I read that one time, and I said, God, do you want me to believe there was really an Adam and Eve, and this is how it happened? And uh, the Holy Spirit just said yes. And yes, I, under, I stepped into that faith because I was willing by the grace of God. He had made me willing. 
And as soon as that, I understood and I began, before I even began to read lots of books on creation and evolution, I began to start to understand the absurdity of evolution. It, it, people who are, who are caught in it I really believe it. And they really think it's real science. It, you know, we, I can't get off on that or whatever today, but, you know, the incredibleness of things like spontaneous generation, that life must have come from something non-living. They've been working on that ever, ever since Darwin published his Origin of the Species in 1859, and ancient people worked on it, and before that, alchemists worked on it in the Middle Ages and in the early Renaissance and so forth. Nobody's come close to creating life out of non-life and so forth. And that's just one of hundreds of really impossible conundrums for evolution to be true. There's no missing links, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not, you're never going to understand it by the science. You're going to understand it because you're, you're willing to know the one who is true. All men are liars, and he is not. It's as simple as that. And when, you, when you're willing to know him, he will bear witness that he is the truth. He is the spirit of truth. The reason we emphasize getting filled with the Holy Spirit and coming into a greater experience with the Holy Spirit, because he is the spirit of truth. The more you experience the power of the Holy Spirit, the more living in the presence of the Holy Spirit, the more walking by the power of the Holy Spirit becomes reality to you. Not only will you bring forth the fruits of the Holy Spirit, but one of the fruits will be that you'll live in a progressing reality. And less and less procrastinations and, and explanations and excuse makings and all kinds of unrealities. That's, you know, when you're trying to raise children, foolishness, unreality is bound up in the heart of, of a child. Helping kids grow up is to help them become living in reality. All right, moving on. Repentance includes conviction. And remember, conviction involved reproof. We talked about how we want one another to reprove one another. It involved confession, saying the same thing God says rather than excuse me. Contrition, afflicting your soul and humbling your soul. The reason a lot of people don't step into things in God uh, the power of God and they stand in the doorway and so forth is because they want to stay in charge and they think they're doing good enough without too much of God. I'll never forget when I, uh, a guy who'd been a missionary to India and was, uh, you know, taught me that you're supposed to go to church to seek God and most people actually go to church to avoid God. And at first I was like, what are you talking about? The more you think about it, the more it's true. Like we just want the minimum amount of God. We, can, we can't shake him all together. So we just want to kind of get a little bit of God's fix so we, so we can kind of get him off our case but not just go all the way with God. Dive in. <laughs> There's no other way to live the Christian life. Repent all the way. Jump in. Make him the king. Let him drive. Let him provide the engine, the power, everything. Just get in and enjoy the process. You know, you're, you're never going to grow in the Lord till you begin to realize that Jesus is the only destination, 
and you gotta lose you gotta kind of give up that whole control thing and just enjoy the process. Just walk with him. I still don't like roller coasters too much, but I mean the whole point of a roller coaster is you're enjoying the process. You know, it's like Sure hope the engineers that made this got it right. <laughs> sure hope all these safety mechanisms, but let's go for an exciting ride. And uh, most people can do that, and they, but they can't, they can't make the, you know, which I think is a lot more irrational than, entrust, than trusting your full self to God. It's amazing how many people can't entrust their full self to God, but they still like roller coasters. It, that's illogical. Uh, okay, now, uh, we've already made this point, but contemporary Bible-believing Christianity tries to emphasize forgiveness and reconciliation apart from conviction, confession, contrition, repentance, renunciation, and restitution, and you just can't, as we're going to see over the next uh, three weeks of verses on repentance. Counting today, today and two more weeks. All right, John the Baptizer. Uh you know, he's, he is obviously sent in the Bible as the fulfillment of prophecies in Isaiah. In Malachi, 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 he's uh, kind of the Amish version of Malachi. No, Malachi, he, he was my buddy in the fourth grade. Uh, in Malachi, in uh, Isaiah, in Malachi, not Malachi. Um, and, uh, of course, he's the, he's the preparer for Christ. Jesus basically calls him the greatest prophet. And he's the first wave of the visitation of God that ushered in the New Testament called the Advent of Christ that we celebrate in Advent season and really on a daily basis all year round. Matthew 3, 1 through 2. I wish I had uh, could read the whole Matthew 3, but here's some highlights uh, from verses 1 and 2 and verses 5 through 12. Now in those days, John the Baptist came proclaiming or declaring or announcing, heralding in the wilderness of Judea. By the way, study words. Like stop and think about the word. You know, preaching tends to be like we think of like some legalistic church with and, and a style like the guy's perspiring and really yelling at you. <laughs> it's, it, it's, the word means to declare, announce. You know, people have uh, engagement announcements. They have baby announcements. People announce they got a better job. It's John the Baptist came announcing, saying these are the facts. This is reality. You, you're going to have to do something about it. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. You're going to have to do something about that. You've got to make a decision. Later it says, Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea, and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan, and they confessed their sins. But when uh, he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Now, we think of that in our modern time as just the wrath to come at the end of the age and the second coming of Christ. But the Bible's not primarily talking about that, although it includes that. 
but it's talking about the fact that John the Baptist came to herald the Christ who came to say what, to sum up Moses and the prophets and declare to Israel his God's covenant lawsuit against Israel, which Matthew and Luke are all about, and to say, you know, the kingdom of God is here now in your midst. Repent, get on the right side of history because I'm done with Israel. I'm going to build my church instead. And I'm going to declare judgment on Jerusalem and the temple's going to be torn and, uh, apart from top to bottom and the Roman armies are going, to, are going to, and this is all going to happen within a generation. That's what Matthew 24 is all about, not the end times like today's silly Christians would like to make it. They don't mean to be silly. They just, and by the way, many of them are many very sincere, love, God-loving Christians who just don't know any better. And, and that's, it's sad, really. It's, it's not something to make fun of. It's, 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 a, it's a horrible state that we're in right now. The church is in a horrible, horrible place. So that's what he, he's talking about, the wrath that's about to come. And it's going to be delivered by the emperor's son named Titus, who will eventually become the emperor. There's still a commemorative gate in Rome called the Gate of Titus that celebrates Titus's destruction of Jerusalem and his destroying of the temple and his standing in the Holy of Holies and declaring himself to be God because that was the issue for the Romans. They, they, they greeted one another with Caesar is Lord, Kaiser Curios. And if you saw someone on the streets, I would say to Anvesh, uh, Kaiser Curios. And if he was like, uh-oh, if he didn't want to say that, I began to suspect he was a Christian. And I might rat him out to the authorities. I think this guy's a Christian. Better go get him. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. And do not suppose that you can say, that's why, you know, by the way, that's why when they not only, if you read the Gospels carefully, they not only cried out, crucify him, crucify him, but they said, they, they, uh, the Sadducees and the, uh, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, remember when they said to Pilate, we have no king but Caesar. That was one. Like, if you can read that without crying, then you don't understand it. They were rejecting God as king as they had in the days of Samuel. Remember how God told Samuel, they're not rejecting you by wanting a king. They're rejecting me as being king. And God was finally tired of it. And he was about to bring that whole people and system to an end. That's what John the Baptist is saying when he says, flee from the wrath to come. Who warns you guys to flee from the wrath to come? Because you can't flee from the wrath. You want forgiveness. But you, don't, you, but you want it without repentance. As religious people have ever done since. Therefore, be, bring forth fruit in keeping with your repentance. And don't suppose that you can say, I prayed the sinner's prayer. Oh, wait, no, modern translation. For, I, for God is able to raise up stones from these stones, children of Abraham. The axe is laid at the radical roots. Therefore, every tree, there's no exceptions to every. 
that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Mark 1's version, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Notice that repentance must accompany the forgiveness of sins. We want the forgiveness of sins. But get, and by the way, make sure you understand, it's more than confessing your sins. I had a very clever son who figured out early in life that if, you know, like something was missing that wasn't supposed to around the house and we had a family meeting and so forth, and I, we weren't, you know, like moving on until someone came clean with who stole this or who did he would say, I'm tired. I don't like family meetings. Uh, he would just confess whether he did it or not <laughs> to, to, to get the meeting over. But he wasn't repentant. <laughs> and that's really kind of like where Christians live today. Like, like yeah, the sinner's prayer is nothing if it's not accompanied by real repentance. And repentance always is radical, and it always brings forth fruit. Did you really repent if you're still doing it? Repentance is necessary for forgiveness of sins. Let's go on to Jesus, because we're running out of time. Jesus, our pattern. Halfway down the uh, second page there. His first words of his public ministry and his first instructions to the apostolic disciples. Uh, apostolos means the sent ones, or in the verb form, to send. And, it, and uh, in the, if you study apostleship in the New Testament, you'll see that the apostles had a certain pattern and model of teaching about Christ, the church, the resurrection, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they were sent to build, plant churches according to the pattern from the church that sent them. Look at, look at Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13. There really are apostles today. And all apostles had signs and wonders and miracles in their ministry. And they built according to a certain pattern. They were representing their Lord accurately. And that's always the issue. In, our, in all ministry, the reason we say study, 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 is because we don't have the right to misrepresent him. We can't go out and just get our denominations pattern. Loyalty to the way we were brought up. You, it's, it's become a god in our culture. People go, well, that's not how I was brought up. Well, who the heck cares? <laughs> what does that matter? Is it according to the scriptural pattern? So this is important. Jesus... This is his first public word, and this is the first public word he gives those he's sending. If he's sending you, you have a responsibility to have this word. Not forgiveness and reconciliation to a God who will just forgive everyone all the time, no matter what, with no repentance. You don't have a right to change it. As the whores called preachers today do. You can't whore and adulterate the gospel the way it's being done today just to get a bigger TV audience or more money or a bigger congregation. So many ministers are prostituting themselves 
And the, the problem was a problem in the day of Paul, by the way. Jesus, Mark 1, 14 and 15 says, Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, that's the northern part of Israel, preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Just be forgiven. And believe conceptually in ideas. Oh, wait, that's the modern translation. His first thing was repent. And notice that repent comes before believe. If you're having trouble with faith, try true, finding true repentance. If you're having trouble stepping into the power of the Holy Spirit or whatever God has for you, seek God for repentance first. And seek him with tears and go beyond Esau. <laughs> I mean, you gotta, you got to cry out to God and say, wow. Really, I, you know, lots of people in Christianity today have a very deep self-righteous kind of thing. And self-reliance kind of thing. And, you know, because I've compared myself to other people and I'm pretty well educated or I look pretty good or I'm in shape or whatever criteria you put on it in your own heart and mind. I'm not that desperate for God. I'm always amazed how many people even, well, you know, like husbands who think they're more spiritual than their wives or wives who think they're more spiritual than their husbands or, and people, you know, like people who just have such crazy self-reliant evaluations of themselves. Get contrite. Get desperate. Repent. If you're having trouble stepping into the power of the Holy Spirit, repentance is at the root of it. And it's not funny. And it's not like, well, you better cry out to God that he'll show you your need. You better start to fear God. Because the, the Bible says the pro, proud God knows from afar, and he knows how to keep you afar. That's a little Derek Prince thrown on, you know. God, you know, God knows the proud from afar, and that's where you're going to stay. You're going to stay at the door of the kingdom looking in, being a fine Christian in society's eyes, but, but not doing what on the page God wants you to be on. You know, they say hard preaching leads to soft hearts. I hope so. Matthew 4.17, the very first thing Jesus says after his 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, which came after his baptism in the Spirit and his water baptism. At that time, Jesus began to preach, literally proclaim and say, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that at hand is a tough one to, uh, to um, translate because, it, you know, they argue about, does it mean it's in your midst? It's, it's right here, right now. Um, you'll see that you know, people who emphasize the future kingdom never accomplish much for God. Go through all of church history. All Christians know that the, few, the kingdom has not fully come, it, and it's already here, it, as they say, already and not yet. But the Christians who emphasize the already always turn the world upside down for Christ. The Christians who emphasize what God will do after never accomplish anything except to retreat from the battle. Jump down to, uh, of course, Jesus in Luke 15 and Luke 24. 15 is uh, 
he says, uh, in the whole, Luke 15 is all about the prodigal son and so forth, and he's confronting the Pharisees who are mad at him that he's hanging around the sinful people, and, and that's what the whole chapter is about, is the Pharisees, he's calling them the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son, and, uh, and so forth, and he says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need repentance. Um, by the way, Mark 6, I skipped that, you know, he summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. Now that parallels Matthew 10 and Luke 9 and 10. But Mark's version, he began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority and he instructed them. And then they went out and proclaimed that men should repent. That's what they proclaimed. And they were casting out demons or anointing Maybe I, I think there's a tie-in between our lack of preaching true repentance and our not casting out demons and anointing the sick and being, having seen people healed. Because God won't confirm his, a word that's not his. Luke 24, he tells them, now, you can study these verses because we're out of time in Acts, and I'm probably not going to come back to them next week. Maybe I will because that kind of starts the... It's a segue into the next week's teaching, which is to trace the, the use of repentance through the rest of the New Testament and to see how foundational of a doctrine it is. But notice these, uh, in Acts, all these um, examples of the very first content of their message was repent. And so next week we're going to actually uh, go through uh, start. We'll probably have to start in Acts since we ended there and go through the rest of the New Testament and look at probably hopefully 30 or 40 scriptures about repent that illustrate the eight points that we made about repentance. Amen.